What's up, Cleveland sports fans? We are back with another episode of the Cardiacrin Kids Cleveland Sports Podcast. My name is Brandon, alongside my co-host, Mark. We got a great show today. We're talking Browns and the Cream Hunt signing. We're going to give our NFL draft prospects of the week. We're going to do our free agency spotlight on the defensive tackle position. Then we're going to move along to the Indians and the Trevor Bauer arbitration meetings and what went down there. And then finally, we're just going to touch on the Cavs. We're going to give our games of the week and also our hot takes to finish it off like every episode. So without any further ado, let's get it on. So being a Cleveland Brown is way more than just playing football. It's about being an elf. All right, guys, we're going to start this week's episode with some Browns talk. We got a lot of it. So we're going to start off with discussing Kareem Hunt and the Kareem Hunt signing. I wanted to kind of first get what your your thoughts on the signing were, Mark. Uh, as a football move specifically, I think it's a great move. Kareem Hunt has obviously shown that he is one of the best, you know, top five, top ten running backs in the league. Uh, last year, in his rookie year, he rushed for over 1,300 yards, averaged about five yards a carry, and had eight touchdowns. This past year, in the 11 games, he had 825 yards, four and a half yards a carry, and seven touchdowns. He's only had one fumble in his entire career, and he also has... 10 total touchdowns, including seven this past year receiving touchdowns. As the player himself, he's going to obviously help the team. However, I do not like the signing at all. Okay. Obviously, the off-the-field stuff is bad. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way to spin it. It's bad. Uh, as many or as everybody has already known or seen the video of him kicking the woman in the hotel... We're never going to know the full story. The audio is never going to be released from the video. But even if he was rightfully mad at the woman for making racial slurs or saying some other verbiage that would have upset him, you never, ever, ever, ever hit a woman. Ever. No, absolutely not. And on top of that, he's also being investigated by two for two other instances with involving two fights with two different men. So it's obviously not just him being angry at that one woman. He has anger issues. Yeah. He's got a little, little bit of a violent streak at him. And he's also voluntarily taking alcohol class, alcohol management and anger management classes. So he recognizes he has a problem. I just, I don't like it for our team. I, I think with Freddie Kitchens being a new guy, we're on the up and up. I just I do not like the fit for the uh, Cream Hunt to the Browns. Yeah, on his uh, him taking the classes and trying to better himself that way, that's good. But it's it's also really hard to buy, especially when it comes after all of the issues come to light. It's it's always a good PR move to go straight to that and you have that kind of in your book and on your side and i'm actually gonna go the opposite route i'm gonna defend him a little bit not that he deserves 
to be defended. He he definitely screwed up big time. Um, but I'm okay with it. And obviously, in terms of a pure football aspect, like you said, it's it's a, he's a really good player. The the numbers speak for themselves over the last couple years. It's as a football move move. It's low risk, high reward. You know, we only pay him $1 million, and we also got a team option for next year if we want to retain him if everything goes well. And that's really cheap for, you know, a player of his caliber, a young player, and somebody who we build that relationship could end up being a long, you know, long-term option around with him and Nick Chubb. Um, now, getting into the dusty stuff, I'm going to say this. A lot of people do a lot of stupid things when alcohol is involved. There's there's a human aspect to this. You know, the 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 keyboard warriors want to come out and be all high and mighty about how perfect they are and how awful of a person he is and not that he is not a bad person for what he did, but it doesn't have to define you know who he is forever. That's 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 going to be a stain that's going to stick around for sure, but he can definitely take a lot of steps to change um, for what he has done. And he can be a better person going forward. I, I've seen it happen personally, seen people change. Not everybody changes. Not everybody wants to change. But if he wants to, he can definitely make that effort. And I'm I'm an eternal optimist like, like our general manager, John Dorsey. So... I think if it's something he can accept that he messed up, like I said, do everything he can to atone for his mistake and move on. I think he could be a good fit to really give us a strong one-two punch. See, now, here's the problem. and A couple of things. First of all, this is not a anger management issue that's just happened within the last year. There's a reason he only was able to go to Toledo when he had schools like Ohio State, Michigan, etc., looking at him he's had issues since he was young the ang- and- but the anger issues though i don't necessarily mind the anger issues it's it's controlling them and that's something he can work on as he gets older and i want my my uh football players to be a little angry i, I understand you want them to have a little bit of edge to them but if you can't keep them under control then they're not going to be able to get on the field well, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. out of all 32 teams in the NFL, the one team that decides to sign him is the his hometown team, where he has been in trouble multiple times. That's where the hiccup is for me. If it was in, you know, uh, Chicago was interested, Kansas City was interested in re-signing him, I would be more lenient towards that. But since it's his hometown team. It's where he's from. It's where he literally kicked a woman and pushed a woman. It's in that same city. That just shows that there's going to be a lot of temptation for him to go back to what he was doing previously. Um, I don't see the whole the location thing as a, as big of a deal. You can you can go out par- party and do stupid things anywhere in the world. Um, but all of his friends are here. All of the people he ran around. Sure, with. but if if. If he's going to take those steps to improve, and he's got a lot to prove from here on out. He's got a lot of trust earning to do, and I don't expect it to be a a quick turnaround, and I really hope it's not, and he needs to be on real thin ice. 
But if he's going to make that change, he's going to be pushing those people out of his life anyway. It's what it's what he needs to do. If those are the people that are putting him or helping put himself in those bad situations, it's people he needs to separate himself from. Will he do it? I, I, I get it, but like I said, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make the case for him being on the Browns. I might be trying to rationalize it a little bit for myself because I'm not... Like, I I feel the same way to a certain extent, too. Like, I put myself in everybody's shoes in these situations. I try to see it from every point of view. So, obviously, there's very good reason for people not wanting to sign him. And I totally get that. Um, but I just, you know, wanted to make some points for the signing. I, again, as a football signing, love it. If he had no red flags off the field issues, whatever... I'd have been totally behind it. However, yeah. you have to, you can't just take a blind eye to the off-field stuff. Yeah, but and that's why you know he comes at you know at where he is a player like you know that. If he had a clean record, he first of all he'd still be with his regular team, but he'd also you'd also be paying him a lot more money if you're picking up picking up as a free agent. That's why you know that low it, risk, high reward. If he can turn it sure. around, it's a small. But investment. after after everything the Browns have gone through with Josh Gordon finally getting rid of him are we really wanting to handle yet another off-field distraction well it's uh john dorsey i know it's his specialty it's his specialty so john dorsey has said he cares about the kid and i I understand that but let's let's not be ignorant about it this is john dorsey to a t well john dorsey can if if anything he shows he's gonna do the right thing when it comes down to it with Josh I don't know about Gordon the right has, thing. The well, right thing to win, yes. Well, when I'm talking about with these players. He gives these players a chance. But I think he doesn't... He He's going to give them a chance, but the first sign of them messing up, he's going to cut ties. He's not going to be... He's not going to be Sashi and all the other GMs that let Josh Gordon slide and say, oh, he's so, such a good player. We got to keep him around if he changes. As soon as he messed up one time, he was gone under John Dorsey. So, and I think the... Same thing is gonna you know apply going forward for Hunt. So do you do you count it as Dorsey giving him a second chance though? Because he drafted him. Yeah, then absolutely. Dor- then Hunt gets in trouble, and albeit not yeah, he, under Dorsey. he messed up. He he's starting to show his... that he's paying his dues, and John Dorsey knows him. He probably sat down and talked to him, and I think John Dorsey, being the guy who drafted him, being with him for that year, he knows cream hunt better than a lot you know a lot of other gms would he has a better relationship with him than other gms so if if it's a matter of being able to sit down and gauge whether he's sincere in those conversations saying hey i'm not i'm not going to mess up again i want to be a changed person i think john dorsey is one of the better people in the league to be able to judge that and i don't know Dor- dorsey's obviously got the history of taking people with red flags i just I don't know if it's going to be the right move for the Browns. I mean, obviously, time will tell. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, if it doesn't work out, obviously, no harm lost with the money situation. Yeah. But I think that it hurts Dorsey definitely as the, you know, he looks he as a super GM right now. Oh, yeah. Rightfully he's... so. He did. He's done a great job so far in his first year. I'm not going to take that away from him. But at the mm-hmm. same time. You know, well, this and, is this is a big. I think this is a bigger gamble for John Dorsey than people yeah. realize. Oh, absolutely. He, he's 
he's he's got balls. He's putting his reputation on the line with these guys. He's he's saying, you know, he he. I think he knows that if if they go down, he he's gonna start going down with them. You know, he might get away with you know one of the guys messing up and having to cut ties. But after that, he's okay. But here's the thing: John Dorsey is definitely he had to have sat in the Haslam office, especially looking D in the eye and saying. I'm okay with having somebody who kicked and pushed a woman down. And D Haslam's one of the more outspoken people in regards to something like this. So he definitely had to get their approval and their trust on this issue. Yeah. So if Hunt does slip up again, it's going to really, I think, put him on the hot seat. So, but, you know, another guy I think this impacts that we haven't even talked about yet is Duke Johnson. Yeah, I think when when or if he even gets you know cream hunt steps on the field with the browns because uh, he's definitely going to be facing some some sort of suspension so depending on how that long that is duke is either going to get pushed to almost a full-time slot guy if he can make that transition which i think he could if they really wanted to commit him there but they just they they kind of hinted that they would do that a lot more the last couple of years and you haven't seen it as much but the other possibility is him getting pushed all the way out of Cleveland. And I really would hate to see that, but that could definitely be an uh, option. You know, trade some trade bait or something like that for them going forward. Yeah. Duke is going to be the highest paid running back this year at, I believe, only three or three and a half million, which is relatively very cheap. I believe if Hunt, re- even if Hunt reaches his first full million this year, which I highly doubt it with the suspension between mm-hmm. him, Chubb and Duke, they're only at around like five or 6 million combined. So money wise, you do not have a lot tied up in there. Right. That being said, I, I feel like Duke definitely deserves better. His whole career in Cleveland. I feel like he's really been un- underutilized mm-hmm. and he's I, been committed too. He has. And I, I was very, very surprised he even signed an extension I oh, really yeah. thought that he was going to be a guy who had to test out his market. Uh, I I would really like to keep him, even in a third down role. I know that Hunt's a very good pass catcher coming out of the backfield. Yeah. But Duke's electric. I mean, he every time he has the ball, there's a chance he goes to the house with it. So, if they keep him, I really hope Duke has a good attitude about it. Duke is not a guy who you can throw out on special teams, but he's yeah. a guy you want to make sure he's in on offense. He's a guy you get touches 10, 12 times a game. And with Hunt coming in, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that between Chubb, Hunt, and Duke. Yeah, um, on special teams, I mean, I could see him being a returner, being a punt returner or kick returner maybe. Maybe. Especially if he's pushed that far down the depth chart. But, yeah, like, he's. I feel like he's just his whole career has been filled with empty promises of more touches and more work. And he's just, he's, he's been so committed and so loyal to the team. And they just, I feel like they just have really screwed him over the years and never really gave him the shot. Even with the opportunities there, when, when Crow was here, I I thought, I thought even though he's a smaller back, every time he even runs the ball, he makes extra yards. I thought he could be, we could have given him a shot as a third down or three down back. Or at least, you know, the first two downs. Have him out there more. Give him 
the 15 to 20 carries a game instead of Isaiah Crowell and let him do that and then also have the receiving threat. It's like when he he's out there, you know he's more of a receiving back. But if you have him as a more prominent role, there's a lot more mystery as to are they going to run it with him? Are they going to pass to him if you utilize him more as a runner, which they just never really did. The only problem I have with Duke, and it seems like it's every single game, it's oh. he gets hurt. Yeah, he's he not injured. Comes up with something. Yeah, something happens every single game. Uh, yeah, I to agree. where it's like okay, it's either you know tweaked hammy, tweaked ankle, mm-hmm. or stinger in the shoulder, something, and he's not. I don't think he'll ever be a guy that needs needs or will get twenty to twenty five carries a game and you know five six catches out of the backfield but use him to his ability use him as a guy in the slot use him in the wishbone use him as a wildcat guy even you know just use him for something that will use his ability to the max i agree i agree now we're going to uh move on in the next segment we're going to talk about our draft prospects of the week we got some good guys so we'll be back All right, it's that time to talk draft. We're going to get into our draft prospects of the week for the Browns. Mark's got a cornerback. I am going to be talking about a tight end. So, Mark, let's get it started with you. So, this is actually one of my favorite prospects. I definitely have him rated higher than a lot of draft pundits that I've seen online have. Okay. Uh, I believe after the combine happens, this guy will definitely rise up the ranks. And that is cornerback Byron Murphy from Washington. Uh, about A little bit about Murphy. He's uh, He was a four-star prospect coming out of high school. He stands at six foot tall, 175 pounds. He's 21 years old. Uh, a little bit of stats about him. As a redshirt freshman, he played six games. He had 16 tackles. Uh, one sack, two interceptions, and he had seven pass defle- uh, deflects, which is a pretty high number for six games. Yeah, especially as a freshman. Right. Redshirt freshman. Exactly. Uh, as a redshirt sophomore, he had 58 tackles, four interceptions, which one he returned for a touchdown, and 13 mm-hmm. pass deflections while in 14 games, which were all starts. Okay. Uh, really like Murphy. A lot of a lot of positives about him and very few negatives some of the positives are both man and zone coverage skills with man it's like he has uh he's like a magnet sticking to him he's got uh, just a weird stickiness he's always he's on the guys all the time uh short area quickness is great and his footwork is excellent he's able to stay with quicker guys and he's also able to uh run you know with the best of them on straight line speed Okay. Zone cover wise, he's super intelligent with reading the zones and watching the quarterback's eyes and looking at the receiver's hips while running routes. Yeah, that's good and tangible. Just not, like just have that awareness for sure. Exactly, and definitely. being being six foot, he's also able to stay with how good his footwork is and his short area quickness. He's able to not only stay with the smaller uh, slot guys, but he's also tall enough to match up against guys. Uh, maybe not as big as Julio Jones, but you know guys like AJ Green, right. that six two six three area. You know he's 
Mm-hmm. He's got and another great thing about him is uh, his ball skills. So balls up in the air. He's great at timing it, getting a pass deflection, going up for an interception. Uh, he's very active with his hands when he's up in the air. Not active to the point where he's committing a uh, penalty, mm-hmm. but active to where he's able to knock the ball away and uh, mess up the receiver. He also takes great angles, too, while running after the receiver, whether if he's in zone and he's going to make a play on the ball. Or if he does get burned on a play, he's able to quickly recover, make some great angles on that. Okay. One last positive, super tough. He plays bigger than he is. Six foot's pretty tall. 175 is not. So he does. He definitely plays bigger than he is, and he hits hard for his size. He sounds uh, kind of comparable to a guy we already have on the roster. He just drafted last exactly. year, Denzel Ward. Yep, he's very comparable to Denzel Ward. He's a little bit taller than Ward, but he is very comparable to Ward. Okay. And that's one of the negatives, though, is his size. I, like I said, the height is good. He needs to add, if he could add about uh, 15 pounds or so, if he can get up to 190, 195, I think that'd be great for him. Be able to make him more durable. You know, he hits hard now. Just wait until he adds that extra 15 pounds. Right. Another thing is run support. He's a pretty good tackler for his size. However, I think with the the grind and the toughness of today's NFL he needs to add weight to make sure that he can withstand run support yeah yeah so obviously cornerback is not a huge need on our team but murphy's pretty damn legit yeah like i said i think he is going to be higher on my board than people have now but I'm not going to be surprised when he's the not only the first cornerback taken, but I think he could be a top 10, maybe a top 8 draft pick in this class. And if for whatever reason, if people in the NFL are being stupid that day and he slides to number 17 for the Browns, John Dorsey better run his sweatered ass up front to the podium <laughs> and turn that card in because yeah. he better scoot over like an elf because... Murphy's going to be a stud on the opposite side of Ward. Wow, that's that's some high high praise there. He he's a stud. He's a stud. Uh, some good praise for my prospect of the week. Uh, he's a tight end out of Iowa. He's a junior coming out. Uh, his name is Noah Fant. Probably not the Iowa guy you guys might be thinking of. They got two really good guys over there. The other being TJ Hawkinson. Very, very good. But I'm going to be talking about Noah Fant, a guy I think could possibly slide into the second round and be available with our second round pick. Because I don't think we really need to go tight end with our first round pick. There's a lot of other needs to address. But he's definitely a good option for us to look at. He's six foot five, 230 pounds. He's got a really good build for a tight end. In 2018, he had 39 receptions for 519 yards. And that might, on the surface, not seem like the greatest numbers. But again, he's behind, playing behind the guy coming out who is the number one uh, prospect out of the tight end position, TJ Hawkinson. And he had about 719 yards, I think, was his. So he also had a lot of yards 
But I think that's, that's not a slight on Fant playing behind. No, Hawkinson, not at all. That, Hawkinson's that, legit. Yeah, Hawkinson I think just got kind of more of the reps. Was more like the primary starter. He's there, the, but... he's a better prospect. He's a better player. And that's again not a knock on Fant. I mean, yeah, that's... Hawkinson's got George Kittle, Gronkowski type of potential. Yeah, absolutely. so that's absolutely not a knock on Fant. But for Fant though, he's pretty much a pure receiving tight end. He's really athletic. He's got really good quickness. He's fast. He for I mean at least for a tight end, he's not going to be the fastest bird or wide receiver out there sure. if he converted. But he's a big. He's boy, probably so yeah. somebody who could line up outside too, being um, a quicker guy, faster guy. He can get off the line really quickly, and he can get separation on some of the deep routes. He can he can break away from some of the linebackers and make a good cut on a safety and get some separation. And he he's a good route runner as well. So he he's just got all the things you look for in a tight end that's gonna be out there running around catching and making plays for your team. Uh, some of the negatives with him being more of a, that pure receiving tight end, he's not really a good blocker. That's something he's gonna have to really work on and and practice making this transition into the NFL. He doesn't really have the strength and the technique you'd like to see from. Uh, your general blocking tight end, so that's not going to be his his role. He's going to come in to catch the ball and make plays, and those are the type of tight ends I like to have on my team. Obviously, you have a couple guys out there for blocking situations, but when you need a guy to make plays, he, he'll be a good guy to throw in there with David Njoku. And I don't know if we did decide to go that route at the tight end, what that would mean for a guy like Seth DeValve, somebody who is a good young player we already have on the roster, has dealt with some injury over the last couple of years, but I thought and still think he has a lot of potential. I like DeValve a lot. Yeah, me too. I know when he was coming out uh, two years ago in the draft, we got him. He, he had a lot of comparisons size-wise and everything to like a Gronkowski, yeah. and you definitely see it. And he's you see the, he's you very see, athletic. Yeah, too. you see the potential, but he just... I don't know why, but he just hasn't, obviously, aside from the injuries, I don't know why when he is healthy, he hasn't got as big an opportunity as I kind of expected he would. They Last year, they really put Fells out there a lot more, and uh, Orson Charles, they they utilize those guys more when I think... I think DeValve, that was definitely the blocking aspect of it, for yeah. sure, because DeValve, I think, is... Kind of like that Noah Fan player. He's a big athletic guy, more of a receiver. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fells and uh, Charles are definitely the blocking guy. Yeah, so it will be definitely be interesting to see if we do decide to grab a tight end early in the draft. Uh, what kind of impact that would have on DeValve. If that's somebody maybe we look to move or move on from. Or if he would just kind of be somebody else thrown in the mix. Sure. And I mean, Njoku came into the league. He was pretty uh poor with his blocking and he's really stepped up his blocking game throughout the first two years of his career so hopefully he continues that Mm -hmm. uh not saying he'll ever be a blocking tight end per se but he's definitely becoming more of an all-around tight end so i i think if they go with fant that they would probably not look to add another receiver Mm-hmm. or maybe ones as a, a later round type of guy. Sure. Just because, like you said, Fant, we can use as a weapon on the outside as well as just another receiving tight end to team with Njoku. Yeah. yeah. Those were our draft prospects of the week. Next, we are going to be doing our free agent spotlight on the defensive tackle position. We'll be right back. 
Alright, so we're going to be talking about uh, defensive tackle today for our free agent targets. Uh, Brandon, what does the current room for our defensive tackle look like? They're not really deep at defensive tackle right now, so it's definitely a position we want to probably look to add in free agency or the draft. Right now, we have Larry Ogunjobi, who was really, really good last year. Stud. And he's, he's a young player who's only going to get better, so it's really nice to have him in there. They also have Trayvon Coley, who they picked up as a free agent last year. Two and, years ago. Two years ago. Oh, two years yep. ago. Mm-hmm. Undrafted rookie. But he is somebody who really started out at the bottom and kind of rose his way up playing well, playing hard, and ended up taking over a starter position. And I think that he's the reason we ended up getting rid of Danny Shelton is because they saw yeah. a lot of potential in Coley. And he struggled he, last he, year, yeah. He, he did. And they put a lot of faith in him starting him choosing to start him after training camp and we, you know he looked really good up until that point but he really didn't produce during the season and then we also have Brian Price on the depth chart who's probably somebody who's pure backup role practice team guy he's definitely not anybody we're going to rely on moving forward yeah and with with Coley I I think he is a probably a good number three defensive tackle, mm-hmm. but other than Jamie Meter, who we eventually cut yeah. before the start of the season, we didn't really have much else to go with. And Coley did show some promise his rookie year, but I, I really think he they bit off a little more that they could chew with him at that starting spot next to Ogunjobi. Yeah, so you like to pretty much rate the state of the position group's room now. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to rate uh, the defensive tackle room where it stands? So as of right now, 1 out of 10, I have it as a 5. Okay. It, the only fact... Uh, okay, we have Ogunjobi, who's a stud. I think he's going to yeah. be a top 5, top 10 defensive that's, that's tackle That's about Ogunjobi's about four and four and a half out of that 5. Pretty much. Yeah, and Brian Price, eh, he's in the NFL. That's, you know, sure, okay. Right, right. And Coley, he, like I said, he could be a good number three or even a number four defensive tackle, mm-hmm. but he's not a guy I want starting. And okay. it really hurt our depth last year, cutting meter. Uh, we had to pick up Carl Davis from Baltimore, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He didn't show anything at all. So this is definitely a position, not only do we need a starter, but we need depth as well. All right. And so, talking about who we need to pick up, what uh, a couple of guys that we're going to talk about quickly is uh, we got Grady Jarrett, Ndamukong Sue, and Sheldon Richardson. Those are the three top free agents we got at the defensive tackle position. We're just going to kind of break down, give our thoughts, and see what we think they would bring to the team yeah so grady jarrett is definitely the best of the bunch uh a lot of people have him as the best five or ten free agents uh coming out this year i personally believe that atlanta is going to try and do everything they can to keep him uh they've been making some moves getting rid of a couple guys they just released uh brooks reed an outside linebacker they also released cornerback robert alford who they weren't exactly great players at this moment right but they were also taking up a pretty decent chunk of money so i really think the falcons are trying to pinpoint and keep him 
Uh, but Jared, I mean, he's young. He's turning 26 uh, later April. He uh, went to the University of Clemson, was a fifth-round pick by the Falcons. Uh, he's he's a stud. He's a great against the run. And for how big he is, he's also a pretty good pass rusher. In 2017, he had four sacks. I would really, really, really like him to be the Browns' main target, or at least one of. I think they also need to look into the draft, even if they do sign Garrett. I don't think you can ever have that much depth. There's no no such thing as too much depth. Sure, sure. So I I think he I think Jarrett would be a great guy to get. I mean, he's going to come in a big contract, but luckily for the Browns, we have the third most money in the league coming up here in yeah. cap space. So yeah, that definitely sounds like what's going to happen with him. He, he's going to be one of the guys who really gets paid, and I think that's kind of where Atlanta's at. You were saying they're really looking to resign him. But the from from the last article I read, it seemed like they were kind of far apart on their talks. So really, he interesting. Might, I think that's why he's start, starting to come out as more of a prominent, you know, free agent. Not because he's te- just technically a free agent, but because those those talks could be opening up to where he could be looking other directions. And I think if the Browns were able to get him, that would just be incredible. I think you said uh, his four sacks in 2017 last year. He had six sacks, 16 hits on the quarterback, and he actually led uh, all defensive tackles in the NFL and uh, tackle for loss. Nice. So he's definitely will come in and make it a, an immediate impact, having him, Ogunjobi, and Miles Garrett. Like, gotta like the sound of Jarrett and Garrett for sure. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna hear that if if they ended up going that direction. But yeah, he's just he's an athletic, powerful, explosive guy. It's it's pretty much it, and he I think he's gonna pretty much get somewhere between twelve to fifteen million. Uh, so it just depends on if Atlanta's willing to dish out the dough, and if not, he's gonna look to somebody like the Browns who got the cap space to do that. It's a lot of cash for a team like Atlanta, but that is chump change for the Browns. I if he seems like he's gonna be a free agent on March thirteenth. If I'm the Browns, I am backing up the Brinks truck on oh. March 13th at 4.01 p.m. I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that. So, yeah, let's move on. Uh, we're going to talk about Nedamakun Sue. Uh, very well-known defensive tackle, drafted by the Lions second overall back in 2010. A uh, little bit of a hothead. He uh, was suspended for two games back in 2011 for stomping on the player for the green bay packers i believe it was tj lang if my memory serves correct yeah i think so yep uh this past year played for the rams on a one-year contract he had a pretty good year he had four and a half sacks uh obviously helped them to uh make a super bowl run it, it's he, gonna be about money for him because he he's getting up there in age he's gonna be 32 i believe when the season rolls around I, I think he would be a great guy to mentor Ogunjobi, but at the same time, I don't know if I want to pay a mentor $10 million a year. Yeah, I think he definitely, if we bring him in, it's it's in a veteran role to kind of help Ogunjobi. And also, if we decide to look at another young defensive tackle, kind of help them along, and he's somebody who you can plug in at, at that you know second defensive tackle position when you got the two in there and then also the the two ends 
somebody you can have playing and make you know make an impact and not just be there. Um, he's over the last couple of years, you can tell he's starting to hit that decline. He actually was a little bit better last year than he was the previous two years to that. You know, once he went to the Rams, so he kind of had a little bit of a comeback season, but he's only had. Uh, nine total sacks in the last two seasons. That's that's okay. And I mean, from the that's defensive okay. tackle yeah, sure. position, you're not going to be getting as many as the ends, obviously. Um, but he did, like you said, he missed those two uh, games for suspension back in 2011. But in the rest of of his uh, nine year career, he's only missed. Those are the only games he's missed. He's played 16 games and each of the other eight years and then just missed the, the two that one year in 2011. So I would say he's a re- reliable player. He's going to be somebody who's going to be on the field for you. He hasn't had any injuries throughout his career, at least that has held him out of a game. So that's uh, ni- a nice thing, a nice added bonus to when you're looking at a player. And I think he's projected to get somewhere around like a three-year deal with a $9 million salary. So per year that is right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Per year. So you're not going to be, you know, backing up the Brinks trunk to him, but he's somebody who's going to get a nice little paycheck and, you know, play his role at this point in his career. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, if he can still make an impact, which it seemed like he did last year, I would definitely be interested in keeping him as a guy who maybe starts a first year or two of his three year deal. And then a rookie we draft in maybe the, first few rounds of this draft here kind of groom him to take over for uh nadamikasu so yeah I, i'd be okay with it i really want jared i think is my number one guy but I, I would be happy with the alternative definitely all right and the last guy we are going to talk about is sheldon richardson uh, another guy who whose name has been out there he's a he's a solid solid player uh, for the last three years, he was on three different teams. Uh, the Jets in 2016, Seahawks 2017, and last year he was with the Vikings. Um, he was another guy who hasn't been what he was his first couple years in the league. When he first came in, he had an immediate impact and was a really strong player, and he just kind of simmered down since then. Uh, had four and a half sacks last year, but only, I believe, one sack the two years prior to that. Um, again, like I said, the defensive tackle position, they're not known for the sacks. They're more just to stuff up the holes, help with the run. But it's nice to see a guy who can get back there and make some plays. He, I don't think, did anything to earn himself any kind of big, crazy contract. But I think with his last year, which was kind of a prove-it deal in Minnesota, I think he did enough to get a nice little payday. And you know maybe a couple a couple year deal, two three year deal to uh, lock up some security too. Yeah, I I really like Richardson coming out of Missouri. I really think that uh, his time in the Jets, he, especially those first couple years, he proved how dominant he could be. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, however, just like you said, the last few years have not been ideal for him. I think in Minnesota he did have a little bit of a rebirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a guy who definitely needs to be in the right situation, right type of uh, team. He was a pro bowler his second year in the league. So if the fire's still there for Richardson, 
I mean, four and a half sacks last year is pretty good. And you got to think, too, with a team of Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi and Ogba, or if they upgrade from Ogba, I think Richardson will be seeing a lot of solo blocking assignments yeah. against him. And, yeah, he could definitely wreak havoc as that third or fourth defense alignment who is going to go after the quarterback. And I think him and Ogunjobi in the middle would be very tough against the run, for sure. Yeah, and I think it comes down to pretty much how much they believe in Coley, depending on how aggressive they are in the defensive tackle search. If 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 they see there's more there than that showed last year and they still believe in him, they might give him another year uh, in that second starter role because I think they kind of generally have two starting defensive tackles. So depending on... What they think about him, I think that's going to determine what route they go with this defensive tackle search, but it will definitely turn out to be interesting. See, I I feel like if Trayvon Coley is our starting defensive tackle again this upcoming year, I will consider the offseason a failure. I really do. I I like Coley, again, as Mm -hmm. that third or fourth guy. He is not a starter. We at... If I was John Dorsey, I would not only make sure to sign a higher priority free agent at the tackle position but i'd also make sure to draft one within the first three or four rounds and worst case scenario you have coley as your fourth guy you have a higher price free agent you have a guy you just drafted you have Ogunjobi. you keep Ogunjobi fresh you give guys reps and you give guys a rest i like it i like it a lot it's hit high hit deep to left down the line it goes. It is gone. We're on the right side. Kipnis diving toward his left. Has it. Gets up. Throws. He got him. Swung on. Hit high. Hit deep to left. Away back. Gone. All right. You ready to do some tribe talk? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. The first thing we want to get to is we want to talk about Trevor Bauer and his comments uh, about the Indians or the representatives in his arbitration meeting attacking his character, assassinating his character, I think was the quote, is when the story came out, it was really a lot about him going at the team. And that obviously does not sound very good at all. After the GM came out and talked about it a little bit and he clarified his comments, I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but I can see how... It was more directed at the people who who were just arguing the case against him, and that's pretty much what the arbitration is: is lawyers, and it's it's like a courtroom. It's yep. you know stating your case for and against. So I can see how they had to just bring up whatever they could. Um, I don't think it was actual members of anybody from the Indians organization. So I can get how it could could have been confused. Well, the but, Indian the Indians came out and. And said we, and Trevor Bauer admitted to this as well. They said, "Do not bring up the Twitter stuff. That's irrelevant. We don't even want to bring that up." And then you know, it, it wasn't the Indians' whoever, choice, but the people going against Bauer did. Right. So I think anybody killing Bauer for saying something, I think you just you take a step back. I think, like I said, he was going more at the people arguing against him, and whether he knew it before or after, whether they were with the organization or not, he probably shouldn't have said anything. But I get where he's coming from at the same time. 
Yeah, he does get into some questionable arguments on Twitter. He engages with the fans. I don't see a problem with that. He might go a little bit too far sometimes. But that has nothing to do with the baseball. That has nothing to do with with what the Indians are paying him to do. So I think he has every right to be a little bit frustrated when somebody tries to demean his character. Um, I think it was just misinterpreted or misconstrued how he was going at the Indians when really it was the lawyers that really have nothing to do with the Indians organization that were bringing up these arguments against him. I'm going to I'm going to go on the other side here. I'm going to make an argument against you here. Okay. A big reason why the lawyers were attacking Bauer for the whole Twitter aspect is if Bauer says something on Twitter that gets him in trouble, whether it's a fine or if he goes crazy over the top and gets suspended, whatever. Not only does that hurt Bauer, but that hurts the Indians' brain as well. People are going to be less inclined to buy Bauer jerseys, Bauer t-shirts. If Bauer's pitching one night, people might not be as inclined to go watch him pitch, which I agree. I think Twitter, he's having fun. He's a younger guy. He's obviously very hard-headed. He's going to, no matter, it's always going to be Trevor Bauer is going to be Trevor Bauer, which is something I like about him. But that's something you have to think about if you're the Indi- or if you're the Indians. Yeah, you have but to think about that. I think I don't think he's done anything crossing any lines. No, yeah. And it's also a very positive thing him being very, you know, interactive like that. That's going to, you know, just put him in even better favor with some of the fans. Is they're going to be like, "Okay, this guy will actually talk to us sometimes and is kind of give us his real thoughts and because that's what you get a lot of time talking to professional athletes is a lot of time it's a lot of times it's just interview talk you know right it's oh. it's the standard stuff so it's kind of cool when some of these some of these athletes can use like Twitter and Instagram to give some of their unfiltered opinions and give you a a, a glimpse into who they really are and so yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that and I like I said I don't think he crossed any lines so he, he some of the stuff might be questionable but nothing that they should have brought and tried to use to demean who he is as a person. Yeah, and ba- Bauer is one of my favorite players on the Indians. Yeah, I have here. a Trevor Bauer jersey. Like I fully one hundred, hundred and ten percent percent respect the guy, and I am fully behind him. I just, as a fan, would hate to see him say something on Twitter that hurts his brand, hurts the Indians. Uh, makes him seem like a bad guy. So, no, I, I'm glad that he's more of an outspoken guy, yep. but I just hope it's not something that gets him in trouble further down the line. All right, and right after this, we're going to get into our Indians player spotlight. We're going to be talking about catcher Kevin Plawecki. Plawecki, I'm butchering that, but we'll get the correct pronunciation next. All right, with this week's Indians player spotlight, we got the catcher Kevin Plawecki. Mark's got the info. What do we got? Yeah, so Kevin Plawecki is 28 years old here in about a week or two. Uh, He was a first-rounder in the 2012 MLB draft, uh, standing 6'2", 210 pounds. It's a pretty good size for a catcher. Mm -hmm. He bats and throws right-handed. Uh. As a minor league prospect, he was 
pretty highly regarded. He got up to number 63 in the top 100 for the New York Mets organization. So that's pretty high up, all things considered. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, as a recurring theme for all these guys that we brought in, we have him under control for another four more years. Uh, he cannot be a free agent until 2023 after his arbitration years, which is great because the Indians payroll is obviously something they're going to keep a very big focus on. So yeah, obviously they're, they're going to keep bringing guys in like that. Yeah. They're, they're very frugal. Oh yeah. Uh, he has a career war right now of 2.9 in four seasons which uh, his MLB service is only 2.167 seasons, so not a super lot of data to go on. Uh, some positives for him, he's got good bat-to-ball ability. As a minor leaguer, he had a two ninety six batting average. Hasn't translated yet to the majors, but hopefully in a full season, uh, not going back and forth between AAA and the majors, he'll be able to uh, get his average up. And he's also got a uh, low strikeout rate. Uh, as an offensive catcher, he's going to probably be average in today's day and age. Uh, no more Buster Posey's and even go, go back way back. And he's no more Yogi Berra type stuff. Uh, catcher's going to be mostly a defensive type of guy, which unfortunately is his biggest weakness. Yeah. Uh, he receives the ball well from the pitcher. He has a good rapport with his pitchers, and he has pretty pretty average arm strength. But he's very inconsistent behind the plate in terms of his blocks and uh, pickoff moves, his footwork. Mm-hmm. Um, just very inconsistent and sporadic behind the plate. As I, I see it right now, he's going to kind of be the offensive option compared to Roberto Perez, who will definitely be the de- defensive option. Okay. I just I don't understand why they would not bring Eric Haas up in this instance I, we didn't give up a lot for Plawecki, and i understand that uh-huh. just haas has been in the organization a while he was kind of the next guy up behind francisco mejia down in triple a haas has put up good numbers in triple a he's younger I, I they must really like Plawecki. they must see a guy who hasn't reached his full potential sure. and maybe they don't think haas is ready maybe they just want to give him a little competition and you know, give one of these two guys to give it a run for a roster spot, or at least yeah. you know going back and forth this year. Yeah, I think Roberto Perez is a shoe in to make the twenty five man, and I, I would almost be willing to bet my savings that Polecki is going to make it over Haas. But who knows? Maybe, maybe they aren't as high on Haas as I thought they were. But we'll we'll see. I don't know. Polecki could surprise us all. He could reach his potential, and he could be a Jan Gomes type of guy where he gives you a little bit of defense and a little bit of batting. But it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully they keep him up all year since they're going to be all in on him and give him a full year to really show what he's capable of doing. All right, there you have it. Kevin Plawecki. I guess that's the, that's new, catcher the right for, new catcher for the Indians. Get used to it. All right, we're going to move on into some Cavs talk. We don't really have a lot, but we're going to get into us bringing back Nick Stauskas, talk a little more about SETI playing for the world team, and there's a few more things that are going on with the Cavs, and they got the All-Star break coming up, so we'll get to that next. Smith! Oh, right, James, are you kidding me? 
Alright, next we're going to be talking about your Cleveland Cavaliers. Not a whole lot of news to talk about, but regardless, we're going to at least sit on them a little bit this week. Uh, I guess the one of the bigger news coming out is we re-signed Nick Stauskas after he was traded three or four times over the trade deadline. Uh, the rule that we have to wait a year to sign him uh, is void now since he was traded from the team that we traded him to. Nice. So, uh, as a player, nice three-point shooter. Sauce Castillo is his nickname, which is hmm. top five nickname in the NBA. Wouldn't it, it be Castillo? Castillo, I think the L's are silent in like whatever language. That, I think it's like French. Okay. Well, hey, maybe you yeah, teach me a little bit of language there. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Sauce for short then. Mm-hmm. So, Sauce, I mean, hey, he's got a very good three-point shot. He's from the University of Michigan, so not okay. a huge fan of that, but uh, he, he's a guy who's going to probably be off the team at the end of the year, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. He, yeah he's just yeah. a guy to get some shots up, and, you know, try he's just a body. The, try to showcase to get a get a roster spot. Yeah, sure. I mean, when you got Dang Abel starting for you and <laughs> Jaron Blossom game, I mean, yeah. you can't really do much a lot, worse. A lot so. of guys are going to get some opportunities on a roster like the Cavs, exactly. for sure. I we'll get a guy like Marquise Chris. He's been balling since we've gotten him. It's mm-hmm. so far has been a really good pickup for us. So yeah, hopefully he keeps that up. But yeah, Castil or Stoskis, not not much to look for in the future. He's just going to be a body for this year. But I'm glad he ended up finding a home for going through all he did with the trade deadline and stuff. Yeah, he got moved between like four teams, mm-hmm. traded yep. like four or five times with uh, Wade Baldwin. But he didn't end up making it through the trenches, I guess. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, next, just again, I think we touched on that last episode, but shout out to Chetty Osman for making it to the world team for the Rising Stars. We are actually currently recording right now during the Rising Stars game. Got to see Chetty play a little bit here, so it's great to see one bright spot from Cleveland here this season. That's something. You got You got to take what you can get. Exactly, yeah. And he had some pretty good quotes. If you go check it out online, he's got some pretty good quotes about uh, being a rising all-star or a rising star, wanting to be an all-star and things like that. So definitely something to check out. Uh, One fun fact I found out, and this is actually pretty funny, uh, no one on the Cavs this year has hit double digits in assists in a single game. I feel like that's a very sad stat. That is very, very bad, especially on a team that with not like one primary score should be moving the ball and getting a lot of lot more of assists, but they also don't have any pure point guard guys on the team right now either who would, you know, be producing those kind of numbers. Sexton is more of an aggressive scorer, so he 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 can beat get crafty at times, but when his focus is more on scoring the ball you're not gonna see him moving it and clarkson's a black hole with the ball clarkson yeah he's he's a very aggressive guy too will make you really just say what the hell are you doing he had 42 the other night season high for the Cavs. you know 42 and triple overtime it's real impressive well hey (laughs) it's one of the one of the only guys on the team that's a consistent scorer at least even though he puts up a lot of shots so yeah Cavs are off until the all-star break 
Uh, so we'll get into some more Cavs talk once they're back. But good luck to Chetty for the rest of the game. Proud of you. One of the few bright spots of the year. And I, I really hope he's around when we finally turn this thing around and be good. All right, just like the previous episodes, it's time for Mark to give us a rundown of his games of the week. Mark, what do we got? Yeah, so this week, not a whole lot going on. Uh, For the NBA, we have the Rising All-Stars Challenge, like I was just talking about, uh, USA versus the world. Uh, We have the Skills Challenge, the three-point contest, and the Slam Dunk Contest going on tomorrow night, which will be Saturday the 16th. Uh, All-Star Game is going to be on Sunday at 8 o'clock, which is the 17th. There's UFC as well, which I touched on last episode. Uh, Francis Ngannou taking on the returning Cain Velasquez. Definitely be tuning into that. And that's pretty much it. Kind of a slow spot so far uh, in the sporting world. But NFL is going to be picking up here soon. A couple weeks, we'll have the Combine. We'll have free agency opening up in about a month. So it will be a exciting time here in the next couple weeks or so once the NFL offseason starts really generating some buzz. You know what? Next week we're going to have to dig in a little bit, little bit more and uh, get into our AAF research. We do. Maybe start yeah. throwing that in there. Do you get your team tattoo yet? Yeah. No, actually, it's kind of funny because I feel like we picked like, – we just kind of picked at random and we kind of picked like – two of the top teams in the yeah. league right now. We both were winners. Uh, I am an Orlando Apollos fan, and Mark is a Birmingham Irons. Birmingham yeah. Irons. Since day uh, one. With Trent Richardson. Uh, day that's, one. That's my day one team. Yep, and I am the Orlando Apollos. I bet we're going to be seeing each other in the AAF Super Bowl or whatever it's called. Let's Championship hope so. game, sure. Right. But just to get that out there, we got our picks of teams. They're locked in and we're ready to roll with some AAF action. Oh, my God! Uh, oh, my God! Fire! Oh, fire! Oh, my goodness! Oh, oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm! Wait, 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 wait. Everybody stay calm! Brandon, give me your hot take of the week. I'm dying to hear it. My hot take of the week is probably the best hot take you're ever going to hear in your entire life. Ooh, let's hear it. Uh... If the Browns make the trade for Odell Beckham, okay, they will be 2020 Super Bowl champions. Lock wow. it in. They're, they need to trade 17 this year, our first round pick, and our first round pick next year, which is going to be number 32, because we are going to be Super Bowl champions, and we're going to be celebrating all the way through Cleveland. Everyone's going to lose their minds. And nobody's going to regret giving up two first-rounders for Odell. Wow. That is, that is a hot take. Uh, depending on what they do in free agency and everything else, though, I could, I could see it happening. That'd be an exciting uh, sell offense for sure. Uh, I just hope and pray. Hope and pray. My hot take is going to be pretty much the opposite of what you're kind of saying. I'm going to say after this year, Jarvis Landry will not be a Brown. Wow. I see. I I don't know. I I could actually see the whole Odell thing feeding into that. Maybe right. they yep. they bring Odell in and they're like, "All right, Jarvis, you're nice, but we got Odell now, so I think we're good. I think we like some of our other guys." Jarvis Landry's obviously really good. 
but he's not a burner. You can't really send him on deep rounds and expect him to break free, and that's something Odell Beckham can do. And they, other than that, they're really similar. Other than Odell being faster, they're both around the same size. They both make amazing one-handed catches, and their their hands are glue. I think Odell's just better at getting open and also breaking breaking away on the well, deeper. Well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I think Landry's gone after this year. Okay. Number one, by the time his uh, contract situation is next year, mm-hmm. we will be able to get out of it relatively cheap. Oh, I think it's structured that way. Structured so. very nicely for the Browns to cut ties after next year. Okay. If a team is stupid enough to take on the remaining years of his contract, I would definitely trade him. Mm-hmm. Number two, this time next year, we're going to definitely need to look into start re-signing some guys. I know we're going to be re-signing Randall this year. We can extend Schobert this year. We're also going to need to start looking into guys like Njoku, Garrett, Peppers, uh, guys like that. Uh, Betonio and Zeitler are getting up into their contracts, as well as J.C. Tretter. So there's going to be some guys that need re-signing. And I know we have a lot of money now, mm-hmm. but those are guys I would much rather keep in the Landry. And third, I like Landry's attitude. I think he's a pretty good receiver. He's overpaid for his position right now and what he can do for this team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we could find a guy who's just as much of an impact on the field in this draft in a guy like Andy Isabella and a guy like Hakeem Butler and uh, a guy like DK Metcalf. I, I think there's definitely people that we can replace him with for a fraction of the cost for what he does for this team. I'll tell you the reason I don't see it happening is, and obviously, I mean, it's still a stretch. It's a hot take, but I don't see it happening because I think he's developing a really good relationship with Baker Mayfield, and that's something you don't toy with when you've got a good connection between a young quarterback, uh, upcoming star, and a wide receiver he starts to build good chemistry with. And is I think, I think I'm going to go another way with it. I think that Jarvis is going to blow up on Baker one time this year throughout the year he's going to be pissed that he's not getting targets even if we're winning jarvis is going to show that he is more center of himself and baker's so good at finding guys who are open he's not going to target one guy or not so i think landry is eventually going to be pissed at the fact that he's not getting targets because odell's going to get all the targets right yeah We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Possibly, but we'll see. All right. That will do it for our hot takes of this week. Thank you all for listening. As always, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages at Cardi Akron Kids. Click follow and like so you can stay updated with the show and also catch some of the contests and giveaways we have going on. The more we grow, the more we'll give away. So spread the word. We are on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.